So last week I shared from Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. And I want to start there again this morning. Um, And just to preface it by saying, I need to talk to the staff here because they're a lot warmer than we are with all the windows open at the top. So I realize I don't have as much time as I normally do. There are some blankets at the back that people have taken and they're more in the storeroom. But anyhow. So Mark chapter 1, the baptism of Jesus I shared on last week. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. So last week I shared on this and just touched on the fact that Mark almost uses this. The the early church only came up with language for it later. But it's part of the story of Jesus and in actual fact um, an understanding of the Trinity right at the beginning of Mark's gospel. So what I sort of focused on a bit last week was just the profound nature of the Spirit being poured out on Jesus. This was his anointing for public ministry. This was the outset of his public ministry. And the Spirit came on him in a profound way. All the early witnesses testify to this baptism by John. And again, we have this reverbing sense of how the Spirit came upon Jesus. And then the affirmation of the Father This is my beloved son. This is my beloved. And I'm well pleased with him. And just the sense that at the outset of Jesus' ministry, he himself was, was wrapped up in this, not only the love of the Father, but the public affirmation of the Father that I love you. I'm pleased with you. You're my beloved. And how much more do we need that same sense of affirmation, all of us, in our world today? Because as we go out into our world, we might not be persecuted, we might not be facing the things that Jesus faced, but, faced, but I think there's a lot out there that is undermining, that is tearing at us. And the sense in which God wants to affirm our belovedness. And so we know from the rest of Scripture, and I want to go into that this morning, that this is the relationship that we're invited into. It's a picture of the the Trinitarian embrace of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the sense of intimacy and relationship and love and affirming one another. God breaks that open and welcomes us in. And as one author talks about it, he talks about the the divine embrace. We are welcomed and invited into this profound and, and amazing divine embrace. So towards the end of Jesus' ministry, in the same gospel, Mark chapter 14, um, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus says to his disciples, sit here, while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John along with him, 
And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul, he said, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here, keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's at the outset of Jesus' public ministry. He comes out of the water. There's this wrenching of the heaven. The Spirit comes upon him. And a voice saying, you are my beloved. You're my beloved. And here, interestingly, so the NIV says, Abba, Father, which is just actually, it's an echo of the Aramaic. So Abba is a profound word. Jesus prayed his his vocabulary, his conversation with the head of the Trinity, with, with God himself, with the Father, was an Aramaic, the most simple Arabic familial term for daddy. Abba. So he didn't pray Abba Father, he prayed Abba, Abba. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, you know, we had these... uh, jokes and um, things. I don't know about your kids, but are they first going to say dada or they're going to say mama? You know, I mean, some of the easiest words that, that kids can pronounce, you know, is it going to be dada or is it going to be mama? And one of the easiest, this is, a, this is a family term for daddy in Aramaic, abba. One of the first words a child would learn to speak to the Father. Now, this is the interesting thing. In the last century, um, a German New Testament scholar by the name of uh, Joachim Jeremias did a study on this. And he discovered and um, broke new ground in this field. He discovered that this was the first time that this word was used in a prayer. So Jesus used a word that at the time of prayer... So in the religion of Jesus' day, he didn't find this word. He didn't learn it at the synagogue. He didn't learn it, um, you know, from, I don't know, any of the other crazy people around or, you know. It 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 was a family term that Jesus used in addressing God. And it was unprecedented in the religions of the day and in the history of the Jews. That's quite... It's quite interesting. So we see the the intimate relationship of Israel with Yahweh. And often in the prophets, there's this marriage relationship in that. But never before had they used such an intimate term. And Jesus did. And the early church picked up on it. And we learned, and Jesus taught us to pray. Heavenly Father. But then when he prayed, and that when he, he just, he was like Daddy. And so the incredible thing here, so now, yeah, a whole lot to say out of this. Um, so this sense of intimacy w- was new and profound for the Jews. It was just like at another level. 
And yet the disciples and the church carried this on. And it shows us there are two things that are quite profound. The one, and we'll look at it now, is that it's associated with the Spirit. So Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit on Jesus changed, it, it, it was like a, a, something new happened in his life. We only think of it in terms of this anointing with the Spirit. And there's, an, there's a profound sense that as we have received the Spirit, we too are expected to experience that degree of intimacy and relationship. And it's, it's, a, it's a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, so Paul seems to love the term, um, and throughout then the early church, we, we find this in the writings and that. So Romans chapter 8, verse 14, those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. Again, the NIV kind of echoes the Aramaic and the, and the English. Um, I don't think you'd read that in um, Afrikaans or whatever. I think it would be Abba, Papa or something like that. But, but Paul uses the same thing and he says, but hear what he's saying. He says, when the Spirit comes upon us, we are we brought into the sense of adoption. We're adopted into God's family. And he doesn't say, and we can gently pray or think about God as Father. We cry, says Paul. We cry out, Abba, Father. There's something dramatic. There's something actually quite profound that Paul's talking about is that when we receive the Spirit, there is a deep personal experience of being fathered by God. As Jesus was, feeling the sense of, I am affirmed, I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm, God is pleased with me, to the sense that I cry out, God, oh God, oh God, you are my father, and I'm accepted in your family. And carry on reading. He says, um, he says then, he, he, we're children, and if we're children, we heirs. We realize, says Paul, that it's like that, that we are so adopted into this family that we belong. And like, we have an inheritance with him. And indeed, he says, we heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I mean, you know, I think what I was dwelling on a little bit this week is that we know some of this. We can think about it. We can read it. But there's a sense in which it's meant to be a personal and profound experience. It should change who we are. It should shape, in fact, how we live. And there should be 
Let me say it like this, as I think. Um, my experience of, I mean, my relationship with the Lord and um, times in the Spirit is often it's up and down. We don't live it like a 10 the whole time. You know, there's like, you know, well, not if you're in Joburg anyway in South Africa. You, you might live it. Um, yeah. I mean, we had, in actual fact, we got, we were coming back into town on, on Saturday. There'd been a burst pipe, um, so there'd been no water on Friday. And um, as we were coming back, we fetched Sarah from the airport and we were coming home and I said, well, look, you know, it seems like the water pressure from what I can see on our neighborhood group is, is um, it, it's getting there. You know, hopefully by the time, you know, it's always a joy. You get off a plane, the first thing you want to do is have a shower or a bath or something like that. It's like, well, you know, you might have to have a little splash around, but uh, the water seems to be coming on. So by last night again, the pipe in the same place burst twice. And <laughs> so it's like there's always in the city there are these little challenges and things like that. But getting back to our experience, there, there are times in my life where, where it feels like I've had powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit or personal encounters and that. And they are meant to give rise. Our experience of the Holy Spirit is meant to give rise to this, this assurance, this absolute, another place, Paul calls it a guarantee. He talks about the Spirit as a guarantee. But this absolute assurance, I belong to God. I'm His. And I say that, and what I'm just kind of pushing in on a bit this morning is that we're not just meant to hear that and read it. We meant to know it. And not always, but at times, feel it profoundly. So it might be that people, you know, you go to a nice worship conference and everyone's in a very charismatic mood and they pray for you and you, you just feel there's this, you have these tangible experiences of the Spirit. It can also be that you go off with Lynn on a retreat and you're sitting in silence and you're just sitting and welcoming the silence and the presence and the affirmation of God. We can't be determinative on, on how we all experience this. But interestingly enough, there are two theologians I'm going to quote in a moment. They, as they study the New Testament in the early church, they said the church experienced this. And the one scholar says, and subsequently the church has studied this. So that's kind of like where I'm sitting at the moment this week. So Paul says, I'll read you another scripture in Galatians. Uh, so Galatians was written, Galatians was possibly one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote to the churches that were receiving Jesus and that he, he ministered to. So he says, When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So we like to, in, in this age, we, we like to kind of talk about adoption to children and that kind of thing and, you know, kind of... Um, you know, make it, make the 
some of the terms more gender inclusive in terms of male or female. But the sonship thing is quite key in this era because sons were the heirs. You know, and, and, and sonship was just such a big thing within the Roman world. Um, and it was like you were being adopted as the firstborn heir of the whole paterfamilias, which is quite profound. So it's not, you're not just being adopted as a child, any child. You're like, you're being adopted as the heir to the entire family. Anyhow, getting off track there. So if you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Quite incredible. And so Paul says here that it is the experience of the spirit that the spirit in actual fact in one place here cries out in our hearts, Daddy. So, James Dunn, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, says this. He says, the Abba experience of the first Christians is directly related to the Spirit. He says, it is undoubtedly to be regarded as a reproduction of the experience of Jesus. So, what he's saying is the first, the first Christians were experiencing the intimacy that Jesus experienced. Jesus passed on his intimacy, his relationship. He invited his followers into that and the early church, and the early church experienced this by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Charles Muller, another English-British um, scholar, says, I've long believed that the Abba of St. Mark's Gospel and Paul's letters is at the very heart of the New Testament doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So it is, again, it is the Spirit that makes this real to us. And the reason I say that is because um, we have ex we've been celebrating Pentecost and then Jesus' baptism in that. And so there's this profound sense of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we as believers are called into a relationship with all three. And many of us, sometimes, um, you know, we kind of go, well, I find it easier to pray to the Father. You know, and others go, well, you know, I find it easier to relate to the Son. And, and the Holy Spirit is more like, you know, sometimes for us a little bit in the background. We're in actual fact... We serve a Trinitarian God who is Father, who is Son, and Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying here is that it is the Spirit himself who, when he enters us, when he is on us, when he fills us, gives us this profound sense to cry out, God, you're my Father. So we can talk 
we could do this next week as well, is talk about fathering, talk about the world that is around us. Um, there are so many of us that have had positive and negative or just negative or just positive experiences of what a father is. Many, many people carry profound father wounds. Many children in this, in this country, in this world that we live, have very little understanding of father. They may not even know a father. The only father figures are perhaps, you know, at school, and then maybe it's a church, or maybe it's um, some kind of social gathering of sorts. But there's a profound lack of literally in our country, fathers. And then even those who have fathers, we're like, well, you know, and we all think he could have done a better job here and he could have done a better job there and, you know, that kind of thing. And if you don't, I mean, my children tell me that the whole time. <laughs> you could have done a better job. I mean, they're like, you know, you could have given me more pocket money. You could have, you know, whatever it is. There's, there's always like pros and cons and things like that. And you know, when I, when I became a Christian and I recommitted my life in that, I realized that I had very subtle. So I came from a stable family, both parents, dad that was like there and um, provided for us and et cetera, et cetera. You know? So in, in one sense, he did incredibly well as a father. But I had all these subtle understandings of, you know, just where he could have maybe fathered me better. Or where, I mean, I think as we, as we teenagers, where I had judged him or held something against him as a father. I mean, a silly little one is that, um, so my sister and I were close in years, and so she was, a, she was disciplined one way because she was a girl and I was disciplined as boys were in those days. Um, and then my baby brother came along four and a half years later. And like, there it was like, oh no, well, you know, we can't hit him. You know, and, th- and I would be like, you know, so he used to do this, I was like, beat him, stick it. <laughs> you know, it's like, let me go get the belt or the wooden spoon. I'll show you how it was done. And then by that stage, my parents were like, ah, it didn't really, maybe they thought it didn't really work on Wayne, so what's the point or something like that, I don't know, it could have been, could have been that kind of thing. And I I was like, that's not fair. You know, so if my sister and I misbehaved, I got a hiding because I was the boy. That's just how it worked. And then when he misbehaved, I got a hiding because I should have stopped him misbehaving or something like that, you know. <laughs> so there were, there were all these little, you know, these little things. And now I look back at it, I can laugh at it. Okay, and I, but, you know, when I came into my 20s and I was engaging with church and that, I had the subtle sense that God wasn't really fair. That God... Like did some things, he preferred kids in one way and he preferred children in another way. So he might prefer me in some aspects, but in other aspects he would prefer someone else. Because that's, that's the way I experienced fathering. 
So if there was discipline to be handed out, well, I'm going to get it. <laughs> it's just like, you know. But so all I'm saying to you here is that all of us on different levels have this experience of fathering and very, very subtle, subversive, like understandings and prejudice and unforgiveness or bitterness or sense of unfairness and that. And what we discover is that we project that back onto God. And we so easily go, this is my understanding of Father, therefore Father is like that. And it's the most natural thing. And then we read these stories. We think Jesus had a different experience. And Jesus is inviting us into a different experience. If we have had no father, if we've had a good father, if we've had an average dad, okay, whatever, whatever it is, he's inviting us into a profound new experience of sonship where we cry out in a personal and a powerful way, you are my father and I am loved and I am chosen and I am publicly affirmed by my father. Things on the, the one that we can park but just put it there is that like wow what a responsibility on the church for our world today. Is this not our mission? We don't have some of the kids today but um, I think so last Friday there were 16 children at youth with Alex and Lee and half of them are from the Asfalkop Hase which is the like orphanage. Um, it's, it's a house that, it's called Asfalkop, um, but it's a house that's sponsored by the church, part of the Arbriam Creel orphanage and that. And I, we don't even know what's happening with some of these kids. Do they have parents, but they're in the house? Do they not have parents? Because some of them go home in the holidays. And they, but it, it, it's like sometimes they're just here. And Alex and Lee have them every week. And, and so I'm just saying in our community right here, it's a massive need for the church to say this is what we're inviting you into. This is what families meant to be a part of. And as we experience, and so mission and a world around us, as we experience adoption and inclusion and acceptance, that's what we call to offer. And I think that's what's desperately needed. That's what they want. Mustn't get onto our Zoom, Robin. <laughs> this week. <laughs> Robin and I had an interesting Zoom and we were talking about um, all kinds of things. I won't, I won't go there. But So let me just say this. As the church, we often say this. We say, believe, behave, 
belong. This is what you have to believe. For us to accept you, here's the creed. Here's that song that you love. Okay? And then the church goes, and then we want the, like, you know, some of the other churches, they've got all these other creeds that came later as well. And this thing becomes longer and longer and longer. And it's like, this is what you have to believe to get baptized or to be accepted. And then, this is how you should behave. So Costa used to joke when he was growing up, it's like, um, don't dance or smoke, and it was don't drink, dance, and smoke, or go with girls who do. So he used to have this phrase, you know, it was like, so that's how you had to behave. You know, and then you can belong. And the New Testament, and, and Jesus did it the other way. He said, come and belong. He said, come belong. Let me show you what I believe about the Father. And it's going to change the way you live. But he always started with, like, he always started with, like, you know, the religious leaders, the scribes and the friends, oh, you're you God's family, I'll love you and accept you and, everything. and all the other people, the prostitutes and the, well, you know, we, you have to behave first. Is that what he did? It's like, no, he was like, yokes are the problem. It's like, let me hang out with these people. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying there's a profound mission that we have around just the Father heart of God. And how I want to land it this morning for a few minutes is just to pray again and say, Jesus experienced this. The early church experienced it in a, in a life-changing way. And so do we. We need to know that we know. And I almost want to say, and feel that we feel embraced by God. So let's ask the Lord to just remind us, show us, and do that to us again, that it would profoundly affect our lives. And based on what Paul is saying is, is we, we're asking the Holy Spirit to make this real to us. So let's just take a few moments. We're gonna, I'm going to invite the Lord. I'm going to invite you just for a minute or two just to bring where you are. You might go, I've never experienced this. I know it, but So my testimony. You might go, yeah, I just, I know this, I've experienced, but it, it hasn't been real for me recently. And so each of us can just invite the Holy Spirit to just explode this in us again.
So, Father, we bring our hearts, our lives. And we bring ourselves before you this morning. And Lord, we, we just bring to you our sense of any, any hurts or false perceptions. Father, any way that we often feel excluded, Just invite you, just bring where you feel those, where you have felt Father prefers. He didn't choose me, he prefers someone over me. Or where simply this is not something that's been real to you. We just, we bring this before you now, Lord.